0: with this thing I've got on my face. I have never grown a moustache before. And uh, I promised some colleagues at work that I would uh, do it. And I promised that a few months ago. And when it came to the 30th of, 30, 31st of October, I realized that I had to make good on this promise. And then I checked my diary and realized that I was preaching at Medway. (laughs) But uh, so I gave it a try. For the first week, I let it grow as slowly as it grows. And then last weekend, Alistair spoke at ECF. So he gave me, he came sporting his uh, Mo and I realized then it's absolutely fine. If Alistair can speak in front of my church with his um, attempt at a moustache, then I can do the same thing. So I hope you forgive uh, this thing on my face. My dad laughs at me because he comes from a generation, as many here do, where it's absolutely normal to have goatees, moustaches, beards. But my generation, it's, that's why we do it once a year, you know, in November. In November and we think it's a special thing. He says, it, he doesn't understand it. Um... Anyway, so um, this morning, um, in the preparation for this morning, um, we, we, if you would like to turn with me to James chapter 3, in my preparation I came across a statistic that um, men on average speak about 25,000 words a day. And I know that's an average figure. Some of us way overshoot that, as like myself, and some of us would be lucky to get to four digits. Um, but then the women would you think that that would be above or below that? Uh, all the men and all the husbands would say, definitely, way above that. Apparently, and I don't know how they calculated the statistic, but women on average speak about 30,000 words a day. Now, I grew up in a family that if the statistic applied to my family, then my dad was way out, clean finished with his 25,000 words by the time he got home from work. And my mom was only just starting. In our family, it's a little bit of uh, the other way around. If, if you know me and my wife, I, I can talk the hind leg off a donkey sometimes. Um, but unless you're a little bit crazy... Most of that conversation, most of those words are to other people, right? You know, you're talking to other people unless you sing a lot in the shower or you're a little bit crazy. You're speaking to other people. And how much of all those words, if you had to add up 25,000 words a day over your life to date, that's a lot of conversation that you've spoken to other people, to thousands, tens of thousands of other people have come into contact. It's our main form of communication, I'm sure Um, you'll agree. And, and, And that's a lot of conversation. And that's our text for this morning. It's talking about our conversation, which is primarily through our speech. And I was thinking, I would like to, or maybe not like to, depending on how you see it, see the effect that some of the things that I have said have had on other people. If I could somehow see how the Lord sees it in this regard, and I could see some of those conversations, some of the things when I was a little bit reckless in my speech, some of the times when I was trying to impart pearls of wisdom, when I was trying to, and in and, and all the casual talk, how much of that has affected, seriously, significantly affected the lives of the people that I spoke into, um, and how much of that has actually, uh, even subconsciously, even though I might not be aware of it, affected my own life. Um, I'm sure you'll agree that we all speak a lot, and communication by the way of our words is the most significant form in which we interact with each other. And when I was preparing and looking at James chapter 3, and then I went outside of James chapter 3 to look at other parts in Scripture that talk about our speech in particular, I was convicted, to say the least. I was challenged, and I realized with the seriousness at which the scripture goes and places on how we speak, the words we use, and how we use our tongue. So if you'll turn with me to James chapter 3, we'll be following on from, and I understand that, uh, I think, if I'm not mistaken, that you have dealt with, in in the recent past at Medway, uh, James chapter 1, James chapter 2, and so it was was fitting to carry on with James chapter 3. Despite how difficult this text probably is, and certainly was a huge challenge for me in preparing, the book of James is, is... And every book is in its own sense unique, but James is particularly so. James is a book which is full of practical statements about how to live the Christian walk. If you're familiar with the book, that is the one thing that really characterizes the book of James. It was written by, we think, the brother of Jesus, who was the leader in the Jerusalem church. So he was um, a leader, uh, one of the main leaders in the early church, and he wrote primarily to Jewish believers who had been scattered outside of Jerusalem, mostly through persecution, starting with Stephen and the stoning of Stephen, and then they, were, they scattered throughout the Roman Empire. And he wrote this letter, and it would have been circulated around Jewish believers and obviously uh, Gentile believers as well, but it's written primarily to Jewish believers, and because of that, in the, in, the, in the Jewish tradition, it's very practical. It's a passionate plea from James to live out the Christian life in obedience. It's sincere obedience to God and to Christ. And I don't know if your last time, when you, uh, when, if whoever dealt with Ch- James chapter 2, dealt with that very difficult passage, which has perplexed many people who've read it, that faith without works is dead. A faith that is not accompanied by works for Christ is not a true faith. And that by no means is James saying that you are not saved by grace alone, through faith alone and Jesus Christ alone. That's the gospel. He is by no means preaching anything different to Paul and Romans or to the whole of the scriptures. But he is saying, he is putting the flip side of that coin so well and so uniquely to this book. He is saying, you think you have a genuine faith in Christ? You think you are living something so much more than just religion? Is it showing in the way you live your life? Is it showing in the way you act? You are saved by a faith that is not alone. You're saved by faith alone, but not a faith that is alone. It's worked out in true um, actions. And so many times we think of our actions as what we do and how much we can actually uh, do with, uh, you know, you don't think of your speech in terms of your actions. And James chapter 3, following on from that, James chapter 2, goes straight into how we use our tongue. So, if we go to James chapter 3, oh, before we go to James chapter 3, it's interesting that James doesn't start with the area of speech in James chapter 3. He actually starts in James chapter 1. So, if you have a look at James chapter 1 um, as an introduction to James chapter 3, verse 19, James goes and says this My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Slow to speak. And slow to become angry. And then again in verse 26 he goes and says, If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. So you can see the theme coming out here. James is very concerned with our actions. He's very concerned with a sincere obedience in your Christian life. And he's making us understand in no uncertain terms that that very much includes our, our speech. So, James chapter 3 has that as an introduction. And if you've got an NIV, you'll see that the, and I'll be reading from the NIV, you'll see that the heading for the first 12 verses of James chapter 3 is um, Taming the Tongue. The ESV also calls it Taming the Tongue. Um, The New King James Version calls it the Untamable Tongue. And the New American Standard goes and says, The Tongue is a fire, quoting from the passage itself. So if you'll join with me from verse 1 there of chapter 3 as we read it. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a spark, uh, what a great forest is set on fire by a a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and our Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praising and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Let us open in prayer as we commit this word to the Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that your word is so practical to our lives. We thank you that this word in particular from James, written 2,000 years ago, but on the superintendence of your Holy Spirit, Lord, is so directly applicable to every single one of our lives. No matter where we are in, our, in, in controlling our tongue, Lord, there is so much here that you can teach us. We pray, Lord, that, you will, that we would have humble hearts in submitting to your word, which we believe is authoritative, it is inspired, it is inerrant, and is sufficient for all areas of our faith and our life. And, Lord, we pray that whatever your Holy Spirit convicts in our hearts today, it may result in a changed life. And that we might live to glorify Christ in the way we speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Initially, in, in preparing for this passage, I was a little bit unsure about how James was using the, the, the tongue. How he was explaining that the tongue is evil. In verse 6, he says, the tongue is a fire, a world of evil amongst the parts of the body. And at first I was a bit confused about this until I realized that he's personifying the tongue. And it's not that the tongue or my hand or you know, my foot is evil in as such. I'm evil. But I control my hand and my feet and my tongue. And he's, and he's, and he's saying that as Christians. And this is the other side. The, the other side that I, was at, that I was a bit unsure about exactly what he's meaning. And I read out in other scriptures and I read a commentary on, on, on this part of, this, of, of James. And I realized that James is firstly talking to Christians here. And a lot of, uh, sometimes when you read passages like this, you realize that as a born-again believer who's received Christ and is now a new creation in Christ, because you put your faith in God, you realize you're a changed person. You're not the person you used to be. So, am I still evil? Because James is talking to Christians here. But you also know that there's this battle inside of you between the inward corruption that is still there, the sinful nature that is still a part of our daily life that we have to struggle with, that only one day we will be done away with in, when we are glorified in heaven, when we received incorruptible bodies. And, and we have the Holy Spirit in our hearts which is directing us and we don't always submit to the Holy Spirit. And so because we have a sinful heart, And because Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says the heart is deceitful above all things and it is desperately sick and no one can understand it. Because that is the nature of man. There is something very practical here to understand that we can use our tongue and our hearts and our very makeup. It's still got that sin. It's still got that corruption. And James is saying here it is so important. We realize that and we fight that. Not with our own power, we'll see, but with the help of God. Because no man can tame the tongue. When I was reading outside and I came to what I thought was the Lord giving me the most help in understanding James chapter 3. And that was the words of Jesus Christ himself. I'll read it to you in Matthew chapter 12. It is a situation where Jesus removes a demon and heals a man. And the Pharisees go in and condemn it as the work of Satan. And he speaks to them uh, in, in uncertain terms. He speaks to them very directly. And he says in verse 33, I think it is. He's been speaking to them and rebuking them. Famous passage of scripture, but I'm just picking it up from verse 33. He says, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, he's talking to the Pharisees. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. How can you who are evil say anything good? Because out of the overflow of the heart, your mouth speaks. The Pharisees weren't born again believers. They were not Christians. They were not new creations in Christ. They hadn't accepted Jesus Christ as the Messiah. They were not changed as Jesus told Nicodemus he needed to be in John chapter 3. But Jesus gives us a principle that applies to every human being. Out of your heart, out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth will speak. And that's why as Christians we have an incredible ability to bless people and encourage people and to be uh, tools of God in the world through our speech. But we also have the ability still to speak evil. So the tongue is a big problem for Christians and something that Christians need to firstly be aware of but the problem is really a heart problem, isn't it? And it was so encouraging to see the um, uh, the baby dedication this morning because I, Amy and I, we don't have kids. We certainly plan to have kids, but we don't have them at the moment. But I understand, based on my very limited experience, that it is an issue of training this little heart to serve the Lord. It's heart training. Because you train the heart, and they'll follow the Lord. You train the heart, and they'll be led to Christ. Because that's how the Lord trains us. And our whole Christian walk is one of... Training the heart. So when we look at James chapter 3 with understanding that our speech, as well as our actions, as well as our thought life, as well as our attitudes, is an issue of our heart. I think it makes a lot of sense. And that's certainly the way scripture presents it. A commentator puts it like this. The tongue is a tattletale and it tells on the heart. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The tongue is a revealer of the heart. Nothing is more liable to reveal sin and depravity than your mouth. That's uh, very well put. The tongue is a tattletale on the heart. And when I look in my own life, I see that so many times, and there are many times, where I disappoint myself and I know I disappoint the Lord in the way I speak. I need to go beyond saying, oh, you slipped up. You know, you you shouldn't have said that. I need to go and say, well, what is there in my heart that made me say that? I need to repent of a heart issue. Because my tongue gave forth evil there, and I need to repent. It's interesting with the fall, Adam, after the fall and sinning and taking of the forbidden fruit and disobeying the Lord, the first thing he said to the Lord was a sin. He went, um, at the first sin, the first sin after the fall was a sin of slandering God and blaming Eve. So Adam went and said, um, The woman you gave me, he says to the Lord. The woman you gave me. And he blames Eve and he blames the Lord. And he uses his tongue and shows that straight away he now inherited a sinful heart. The heart that we all inherit because we all come through Adam. And look what he did straight after the fall. And then Isaiah chapter 6, when the prophet Isaiah was commissioned by the Lord to go to Israel and and prophesy. To prophesy the Lord's will into into God's people. He had a vision in in Isaiah chapter 6 where he actually saw the Lord God Almighty. And his response says something about us. He went and says, he said to me, woe to me, he cried out. When he saw the Lord God Almighty, his response was, woe to me, I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips. This was a a godly man called to be a prophet. He says, woe to me, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips and I I live amongst a people of unclean lips. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. This morning what I'd like to do is work through just three issues that I think are so clear from James chapter 3. Three of the big issues that come out from those 12 verses that we read. There is so much more depth here um, I struggle to keep it to three, but I would like to think that the Lord has led me to say that these are the three points that I would like you to bring out of the 12 verses of James chapter 3. The first one is, we've already touched on it now, the speech can significantly influence our lives and the lives of others. If you get anything from the first 12 verses of James chapter 3, is that when you speak, it affects your life. When you speak to other people, it affects their life. And it can affect their life so significantly that in verse 3 to 6, James, who was obviously a very practical man, who was able to describe situations and give wisdom using world, um, very, I don't want to say worldly, very um, practical things from nature or from everyday experience. And in verse 3 to 6, he goes and says, like the bits that you put into a horse and you make the horse obey us, that's like your tongue. Like the rudder on a large ship, that's your tongue. He also goes and says, "Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. That small spark can be our tongue." I was um, Amy and I have bought a DVD series on marriage enrichment. We were highly recommended it. We have, I think, there's a ten-part series. We've only worked through two of this off the series uh, by a guy called Ted Tripp. And um, the first thing he labors in his first two, uh, and I don't know how long he's going to go on this, but it's certainly been his first two sessions, is that in marriage which is obviously a relationship, which is the relationship of relationships in our, on, the worldly, you know, on, on our earthly life. Um, if problems are going to come up in relationships, they're going to come up in the closest of those relationships, like marriage. And, 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 and Tripp goes and says, we need to establish up front that it's not a blaming game. It's not she said this and he said that and he, look what she did, look what I did. Both people in a relationship need to realize that they have heart trouble, that the problem is a heart issue. And from there on, it's not they said this, it's more I shouldn't have said this. And I shouldn't have done that. And I need to repent of this. And my wife is just as frail in this area as me. And he made that point. And I think, and I'm not sure if he used Matthew chapter 12. I think he did. But verse 2 goes and says that only a perfect man can control his tongue. We're a little tempted over there to say, oh well, <laughs> I'm not aiming to be perfect, so I'm going, to contr- I'm going to maybe look at other areas of my life that I can change because I'm not a perfect man. But what James is saying is that it is so important that you control your tongue because your tongue controls your actions. And the tongue is such an important part that if you're going to be a perfect man, you would have to have a perfect tongue. And later on um, in, in verse 8, I think he says, You cannot tame your tongue. It's untameable on your own. All the more reason that us as Christians need to realize that when we have little conversations with people, that the Lord can use those conversations to change hearts. I was having a conversation with a friend that a number of us, uh, you would probably know. She was saying that she was a bit concerned with one of the youngsters at our church, a teenager who I've come to know quite well in the last few months. He is not doing too well at school. And um, I've, I've been doing some practical things with him lately, and he is in, he's an incredibly talented young man. And he is a, he, I can see his giftings, and I hope that he takes those paths, that he'll use those giftings. Because if he's struggling at school, there are some key areas that I know that he can make a real success of. He's very practical, very, very full of common sense, bright young lad. But he struggles with the schoolwork, and this lady was saying she's a bit worried because she's heard some people tease him about the fact that he doesn't do too well at school. And he's at this very influential stage of his life. I think he's 16 or 17. And he's going to be making some very important decisions. And she was saying, I'm just worried that although he's got the personality that seems to brush that off very easily, that you know he's not so good at school, She feels that maybe the people around him should be a little bit more careful with the way they speak to him. And I thought, wow, that's wise words. That's very wise words. Because he's taking this in and and there's the temptation that those words from people who love him and really want to support him and would do anything for him might just be a little reckless in the way that they're speaking to him. Because that might have an an effect on him where he might think, you know, maybe I can't achieve anything in this world. Maybe I don't have any giftings. Maybe the fact that I'm struggling with my math test is reason to believe I'm not going to amount to anything. What rubbish, eh? Now, I'm not saying that the parents or the friends are saying that. But we've got to be very careful in the way that we speak. So I've made a commitment that with him, I'm going to try and build him up. The Lord has said... Look what you're preparing here. He has a practical way that you can come alongside that young man and just put a little bit of encouragement. We're not best friends. I don't get to speak to him every week. But when you do, build him up. Build him up. Don't sell him stories that are, that are not true. Don't, uh, but, but be an encouragement because he looks up to you. That's, that's one area in James chapter 3 with the Lord where he said, that's one area I want you to change. There's more areas as they're coming now with my other two points that were particularly hard-hitting for me. So we see that in verse 3 to 6. But not just other people. It says, James, we read that it'll set your own fire, your own life on fire. This is not a case of power of positive thinking, self-help. You would, if you read self-help books, and I have read more than I should, which is probably two, but I think that's more than I should, because it's all in Scripture, except without the balance that Scripture brings. So you can read self-help books all your life, but if you read Scripture, you'll get that and better, and you'll get Christ thrown in, and you'll have eternity. That's why I don't, I don't have a high opinion of too many of the self-help books, but if you do read, there's some wisdom in there, and they go and say, the way you speak, the attitude in which you speak, can set the course of your life. Be positive, be an encouragement, and you read this. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People is on my bookshelf. It's all in Scripture. Those aren't Christian men writing those books. Um, some of them are, and there's a lot more than, 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 than that put in. And thank goodness, thank the Lord, that he does use those types of books. If you're going to read a self-help book, read it by a Christian author. That's what I've learned. So that's the thing. We would do a lot to change the course of our own lives if we change our speech. And that's a great principle from this text. The second one is a caution. And he starts, James starts his first few verses like this. A caution for teachers. A very strong caution caution for teachers. Not everyone should presume to be teachers, and teachers will be judged more strictly. That is a message from James, but more importantly, that is a message from the Lord Almighty who Isaiah fell on his knees to and said, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. That is a message from the Lord. Now, a teacher's tongue is a very significant tool and gifting that the Lord has given that person. And the Lord expects that those people who are teachers, those people who preach, those people who are elders of churches, to teach accordingly and to realize that they have a a God-given talent and responsibility, but they have an obligation. They have an obligation that they will be held to account to before the Lord God one day. And it's a sobering thought that one day every one of us will stand before the Lord Jesus and account for the giftings and the way that we have uh, used the many things, and the many situations, and that obviously includes the conversations that we've had. We will stand account to that, to the Lord. Now, when I was looking at these, uh, these first few verses, I realized that the context is primarily with teachers talking to elders and preachers in, 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 amongst believers. I think that's the context of James chapter 3. I think it's fair to say that's the primary context. Elders oversee the doctrine that gets preached from their pulpits. Preachers preach doctrine. They teach God's word and should never give their own opinion. They should be giving God's word. And that is a very serious responsibility, to articulate clearly God's word. I'm sure you'll all agree that there are so many churches that will open the Bible as a mere formality. And with many, many years at the church, you don't understand that you need to be born again by, by, by God's grace through accepting Jesus Christ as your only Lord and Savior. And that your religion will take you nowhere in this life if you don't have a heartfelt relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that that works itself out in practice because they don't preach God's word. And I think that that's where James chapter 3, where where the Lord primarily has the context of these verses. But I do believe that there's an application here for anybody who teaches God's word, and that's all of us. We are all in some respects teachers. Do you have children? it's an incredible responsibility to bring them up and to teach them God's word. Are you a Bible study leader? Do you speak at Sunday school? Do you help friends through difficult times using God's word? That's teaching them God's word. And we need to realize that the Lord will use what we have to say through his word in incredible ways, in beautiful ways, in awesome ways that we won't see the fruit of those seeds. Often we don't see the fruit. But the Lord is working and he's saying to us here through James chapter 3, the first few verses, don't take that responsibility lightly. But I think it's particularly saying that our churches need to watch what gets spoken and the balance. And I think that that is very important. As, as somebody who's trying to learn to teach God's word, I realize that there is so much to be said about the word balance. Because I can have a, I can have 10 sermons in a row preaching about some part of scripture which is true, but I can neglect so many other parts of scripture. And we want to know the whole counsel of God, the whole counsel of God. And we want to make sure that people who sit through our our conversations, who sit through our preaching from the pulpit, who come to our uh, fellowship groups and to whatever we organize, are going to know that the most important thing in this world is what you believe about Jesus Christ. Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. What do you believe about him? Has he changed your life? If you're going to go any further without understanding that, you're going to waste your life. And so balance is important. Lots of practical things from Scripture. And I was speaking with uh, Bruce Newsham, who uh, many of you know, and he's, got a, he's taught me that there's so much to be said in biblical counseling and the way we speak and nurture other people and encourage by making sure that the gospel is there first. How can you change a heart that is, that is where Jeremiah 17 verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked and nobody can understand it. How can you train that heart if they haven't been changed by Jesus Christ? The ship's sinking. You're rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic by trying to do that. It's a losing game. But if you change their heart and they get born again, now the Holy Spirit is in their heart. And now now your words of practical wisdom can help them change. And for me, those words from Bruce really radically changed the the way I, I I would maybe try and offer some little advice as I can from God's Word. Am I speaking? to somebody who's alive in Christ, or am I not? Or else I'm flogging a dead horse, so to speak. So that's caution for teachers. Paul went and said to Timothy, I love 1 and 2 Timothy, probably my favorite books in the Bible, because Paul was in tough times when he wrote those books, and he was was handing over to a younger generation. And we read in 1 Timothy 4.16, near the end of the book, he goes and says, Timothy, Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. Persevere in your life and in your doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Watch them closely. So I think it's true that as teachers, and in one sense we're all leaders, in one sense we're all teachers, in another sense there are very specific roles for elders, that we need to watch our doctrine. And we need to watch what we say, because we'll be held to account. So that's the second thing. The first one was understanding that the Lord can change other people, can change their lives. People's lives can be changed, and so can ours through how we speak. And the second one is this caution for teaching God's Word. Caution for teaching. We've got nothing to say unless we speak God's Word in truth. We should have nothing else to say. I'm not saying that there's no room for casual conversation, but the Bible gives room for casual conversation, and that's why we have casual conversation. You see, everything gets brought to life through God's word and gives perspective. The third point is the one where I had to come on my knees and say, Lord, I'm not qualified to come up here and speak. The third one is James saying, who are we to curse other people? Cursing. Cursing. Now, when I first read that, it went Right over, over my head in a sense that went, I didn't apply it to my life because I, I have the word curse as a very strong word, very strong, where I am totally dismissing, insulting the other individual in no uncertain terms, strongly through my speech. And I don't do that very often. Fine. So it didn't apply to me is what I thought. But that's not what cursing means. Do I belittle people? In my anger do I say things which dismiss them to make them feel like I do not care who you are. Get away from me, in a sense. I do that. And let's see what James has to say about that. James says in verse 9, With the tongue we praise the Lord our Father, and with it we curse men. We're the same, He's talking to believers. He's not talking about somebody who is not a believer in Christ. Who has an an aggressive personality? Who struggles with anger? And too often, more often than not, in a work situation on the sports field, he will lose. He or she will lose their temper and really just let it fly. But then go back to a sinful life because they don't know Christ. He's not talking to that person. He's talking to believers. He is talking to me. And he says, with the same tongue, Michael, you praise the Lord every Sunday. You praise the Lord. You pray to the Lord. But with the same tongue you curse men. And those men and women have been made in the likeness of God. God is saying, those people I have fashioned in the womb. I have made them after myself just like I made you. You praise me with the same tongue that you curse them, that you belittle them, that you dismiss them, that you don't love them. And it should not be so. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. And my brothers, this should not be and then James goes and very practically goes and says, from the same spring, you cannot have salt and fresh water. It is impossible. He's meaning your heart has been changed by Christ. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. You are in Christ, co-heirs with Christ, to spend eternity because what of the blood on the lamb, of the Lamb has done for you. You're a changed person. Because you're changed, how can, you, how can you use your tongue in this manner? It's an absolute contradiction that can exist, which is why he's writing to us, but should not exist. Now, in my own life, I know that primarily, and we will all have different areas of our life and our daily lives where this will surface. Some of you, it will be at work. With me, it's not at work. With me, it's the sports field. And I know that many men here will 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 agree with that. I love sport. I've played all kinds of sport. I'm not particularly talented at any one of them, but I love them. I love sport. Golf, ee, golf in particular. I used to particularly I used to play it a lot. And if you ever want to know your true character, go and buy yourself a set of golf clubs and go and play golf. But I've said things on the sports field. Now golf is a little bit easier because it's an individual sport. I can't very well blame the guys playing with me for my shot. Yeah. If he talks, there we go. Then I can, then I can throw my golf club at him. Yeah. But really, in, in, I, for me, it's been in the team sports that the Lord has shown my character and my heart where it needs changing because I've cursed people on a sports field. I'm a little bit too much of a fiery character on the sports field. And I know that as a Christian, since I was 16, 17, I've, and I was a born-again believer, since then, I would hate to tally up the times that I've fallen in this area. And I, would, I'm, I thank the Lord that he doesn't let me know the damage that I've done. And my testimony, just think about that. We need to, and it's not easy, because we can and I know this from pure practical experience, that you can resolve something, and that is the only way that you're going to uh, get through some, you're going to get it through with the Lord's help, but for making a resolution that I'm, I'm not going to react in that way in that situation, but it in no way guarantees that you're not going to make mistakes. And in the moment, in the heat of the moment, reckless word. Reckless speech, and it does damage. To your own life, because there's guilt, and then maybe you don't take that to the Lord, and it affects your walk with the Lord. It affects some things that He would like to do in your life. But does it affect other people? And they walk away, and the other people who see the situation think, but that person is a follower of Christ. Another area in my life is I I grew up in Zimbabwe. I I love my country. (laughs) Yeah, thanks, Maurice. Um, and, And you know what's happened in Zimbabwe. And, and, and there's a the temptation to speak so carelessly and so recklessly about our government. And, and I have done that in Zim. And I think, but I understand that the Lord puts the leaders in place. I understand that He is sovereign and I believe it. I believe that my hope is in no government. I believe that my hope is in Christ alone. Why am I being so careless when I speak about certain people? who the Lord has put in these places, and you see the decisions that have been made in these areas. You see the godlessness, and you go and dismiss and curse the person, not realizing that you are the same as them, but for the grace of God. And this is two areas, the sports field and the way I speak, and I need to watch out in my work life that it doesn't, because I think a lot of us, I know my dad would say, that For him, it was, on, it was at work. And the many challenges that face men and women in the workplace. Speech is very important. The other thing is, how do we speak about our leaders? In South Africa, through these trying times, we have it good in South Africa. They have it good in Zimbabwe. On a, on a world scale, with a bit of historical perspective, you realize we live in blessed times. We have no reason. The believers that were receiving this letter from James. Wow. Persecution. Like none of us understand. Persecution to the extreme. He is writing this letter knowing that his friend Stephen was stoned to death, which means that his family and friends were no longer in Jerusalem. And and this letter might not get to them, but he's going to send it out to try and be an encouragement to people who are being killed where they're going. Incredible torture, not just killing, torture and suffering and families being broken up is the context to which the New Testament letters are written. And, and we can realize that even from the argument that we have, it good here. But even if not from that argument, from the fact that other people are made in God's likeness, and our primary goal should be working out God's plan of salvation on this world, rather than condemning the fact that sinful men act sinfully. And I was really challenged by that. How many times in my life have I slipped up on this? And I am so grateful that the Lord will forgive me for every single one of those times, and not only is the slate wiped clean, because the slate is wiped clean when I confess, the slate is totally wiped clean because of what Christ done on the cross. But our faith is so great that it's not just the faith that uh, the slate is wiped clean. Because I will dirty that slate again. Just tomorrow morning I will dirty it. You know, I'll probably dirty it again today. You know, I'm, we're not perfect, and there's a that slate will become dirty again and the Lord wipes it clean because of what he's done on the cross but the great truth of the christian faith is that we actually have we actually have the righteousness that is Christ's it is ours that slate before god is always clean but that doesn't mean that we don't bring these areas 1 john chapter 1 verse 9 if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness by and purify us from all unrighteousness. God is faithful and just when we confess our sins to forgive us. That is a truth, and we need to ask for repentance in these areas of our lives, and we do need to change. The nice thing, one of the most incredible truths of the Christian faith is that we have the righteousness of Christ. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, so that we might inherit, we might become forever the righteousness of God. When we stand before God one day with unconfessed sins because we've used our tongues recklessly, we stand clean in Christ. And that is grace working out practically in our lives, is it not? Amen for that truth. Because I would just feel an incredible amount with such a practical area of scripture, with such a an area which goes in tattletales on my heart. There is a risk, there is the the the, the problem of feeling too guilty. And feeling it's a battle that can't be won. And we can apply this to our thought life. We can apply this to our actions. We can apply this to our time spent with the Lord, to our prayer life. Sometimes it's a battle that you feel that can't be won. And James says it is an untamable tongue. Jeremiah told us the state of our heart. The battle can't be won in and of ourselves. But it can be won with God and with the grace that knowing that in Christ, We have his righteousness. The reason Jesus didn't arrive on Friday, die, raise again three days later, without all the walking on earth and teaching the disciples, one of the reasons is that he accomplished the law perfectly for us in every single way, shape, and form, qualifying him to die on the cross. And that when we look to him, we inherit that righteousness. We have fulfilled the moral law of God absolutely perfectly, not through ourselves, but through Christ. And it's in that grace. It's in that place that we contain the tongue because we have the Holy Spirit giving us supernatural power, saying the slate can get dirtied and you can clean it. But before God, that slate is always clean because you have the robes of Christ. And I've, I was really encouraged by that fact. In an area of my life that I fail and I know that I cannot achieve perfection. And the scriptures teach us clearly that you will not achieve perfection in almost any area of your life. But there is forgiveness and there is the righteousness of God, which is yours in Christ. So in conclusion this morning, how do we change our hearts? How do we change our lives? How do we react to this great truth? That, we, that, 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 that The truth that our speech is often careless and reckless. And that our tongue can set the course of our life. And that we need to put that bit, as you do in a horse, and change your direction so often. How do we need to react to the Lord now this morning? Well, I think the first thing is to be honest. The first thing is to be honest in our shortcomings. And my shortcomings are not your shortcomings. And the areas where I struggle are not the areas where we're all individuals before the Lord. And it requires us to search our own hearts and to take individual situations and confess them. To take individual situations and say, Lord, in that area of my life I know I battle. Please help me. I take comfort in verse 8 that says, no man can tame the tongue. The Lord is saying, you cannot do it in yourself. Lean on me. Lean on me. Philippians 2 says that um, that we must continue to work out our salvation. We must continue to work it out. It is a striving to work for the Lord. That's not to become a Christian. That is living out your faith. Continue to work out your salvation until you will inherit a glorified body. For it is God who works and wills in you. For it is God who... Who works and wills in you for His good purpose, Philippians 2:12 and 13. So it's an inc- it's a beautiful. The Lord Scripture is saying we need to change the way we speak. We need to not be so reckless. We need to consciously look to practical ways that we can have real, can change our speech. But you're not. No man can tame the tongue, and that without relying on the Lord to work in me, it is a lost game. Verse two. James went and said that we we all stumble in many ways and if anyone is at fault, um, if anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. But if you read verse 10, James goes and says that this should not be. He says this should not be. James concludes that fresh water and salt water cannot flow from the same spring and that a tree bears its own kind of fruit. John 13 verse 34 says that a new command I give to you. Love one another. Does that include our speech? Absolutely. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By by this all men will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. By this so all men know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. And one small thing would be. Add a touch of grace to the way that you speak tomorrow in whatever context you're going to be at work or at home or at the shops or wherever you'll be to the people that you come across. So that if you don't tell them the gospel, because we don't give the gospel in every conversation, that we speak in such a way that totally separates us from the world. And I I don't know about the circles that you, the social circles with the non-believers that you walk in on a daily basis. But I know that I can spot a Christian from a mile away. Sometimes it's not a Christian, but it's a religious person that has taken the time to control their speech. And has consciously gone and said that I'm not going to speak the way the world speaks to everybody and you can see it. And with Christians, that's our starting point. Because that will open up conversations. People will confide in us because they see that there is a soft heart there. There is a soft heart there. There is something different there. So when I'm struggling, when a non-believer is struggling with something in their life, they might not come to you because they know Christ is the answer, but they might come to you because they see a soft heart by the way that you graciously speak to them and by the way that you don't so easily swear, that you don't swear, that you don't use the Lord's name in vain, that when you talk to them, you speak with a sincerity that is not put on. And they can see one thing that young people, and I know this, can see from a mile off is insincerity. And I think that's true because of what media throws in our faces every day. As you get a bit older, as the young people become older teens and get into their 20s, they realize, Christians, they realize that what's been thrown at them through this media is insincerity. It's not true. So I think the world can spot insincerity and they can spot a hard heart. So I know in my life that I'm going to realize that the Lord wants me to make some real changes and that those changes are going to happen on my knees asking for forgiveness. And most importantly, they're going to be saying, Lord, I need your help in taming the untamable tongue. And may you use what I have to say in so many, 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 many conversations that are going to come as the Lord grants me, the Lord willing, in my life ahead. And I pray that some of those conversations he forgives me for in the past. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you um, that the answer from Scripture is that we can't tame our tongue. It's something that you help us do. It's something that we don't walk on our own. We didn't gain our salvation through our own works. And the same truth with our sanctification and with correcting areas of our life like our speech. We thank you that our tongue is a rudder that can direct our lives and others. We pray, Lord, that you are at the helm that directs that rudder. And that when that rudder goes and puts us in directions, that we shouldn't be going with our speech when there's carelessness, insincerity, recklessness, cursing. That you might remind us of what your scripture says in James chapter 3. And with the great truth that there is grace and freedom in Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.